This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, I'm kind of sad about the passing of Jerry Lee Lewis. If you can't rock out to whole lot of shaking going on, uh, then you don't have a pulse. And he was such a tremendous influence on everybody who followed him in rock and roll. I mean, goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Uh, Just the way the verve and the enthusiasm and the originality of what he did. Um, So tip of the hat to Jerry Lee Lewis. Hope you had a good weekend, folks. Uh, hope you had a chance to see Media Buzz. If not, we've got some of the segments online for your perusal. I also want to pay tribute to Lucianne Goldberg, uh, who died the other day. Uh, her son, Jonah Goldberg, did a tremendous tribute to her as what she was like as a mom, not just as the person the world knew. Yes, I know, of course, her role uh, in Bill Clinton's impeachment was extraordinarily controversial. I get that. Uh, But she had this whole career at a time when basically it was a male-dominated business. And just the tributes that have come in for the way in which uh, she carved out a role for herself, uh, was once a liberal who became obviously very conservative. And so I wanted to note that and condolences to Jonah. Uh, What about this World Series? You know, the first game, uh, watching and Houston goes out to a 5-0 lead and obviously had a much better record in the regular season and was much favored. And, you know, it was getting late, and so I turned it off. Wake up the next morning, the Phillies somehow came back and won it 6-5, scoring against their best pitcher, Verlander. How in the world does this happen? I mean, you got to give the Phillies credit for that kind of comeback, uh, especially with the extra innings home run. And then on Saturday night, (laughs) wow, it shows you how quickly this game can change. The Phillies pitcher was shellacked for three runs on the first four pitches. A double, another double, another double, and an error. Um, And so, again, I figured, okay, they're going to have this one sewed up. And, in fact, they did. So now the series tied one-to-one. But it just shows you the importance of pitching. If you give up three runs on the first four pitches, you're in deep trouble. And on the other hand, five runs is not necessarily an insurmountable deficit at least if you're the Phillies. So look forward to the rest of it. I want to start with story number one. And story number one has got to be the horrifying, sickening, shocking attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. Um, And where do I even start? I mean, I was glad to see that most people political opponents of the House Speaker who don't agree with her on just about anything 
were gracious enough to say, you know, wishing her husband a speedy recovery. They're all nervous now in this toxic climate. No question about it. Everybody's nervous. If you're a member of Congress or any public official campaigning for office, you worry about yourself, you worry about your family, you worry about crazy people out there. What drove me insane was the fact that liberal hosts, a whole series of them on MSNBC, rushed to blame it on Donald Trump. They said this kind of violence has only been encouraged by Donald Trump, and that's the problem here. You know, Joy Reid, Chris Hayes, Alex Wagner, they all somehow tied it to January 6th. Okay, yes, I know. The person who has since been charged with attempted homicide and other crimes, David DePape, um, went there not knowing that Nancy Pelosi was still in Washington, somehow breaks into her San Francisco home and starts saying, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? And yes, that was the same chant that we heard from some of these morons and violent uh, insurrectionists. I think that's a fair word. Doesn't apply to everybody, but it's a fair word. Who searched the Capitol saying, where is Nancy? But to then go and say, this, you know, first of all, it's the worst kind of blame game, right? The guy had just been in surgery. Surgery, I might add, for a fractured skull after he was attacked with a hammer, possibly his own hammer, it looked like, was wrestled away by David DePape, allegedly. And this guy is, 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 seems certifiably crazy. So I want to say right up front, when you have somebody who's so mentally ill, and we'll get to the details in a moment, it almost like you, who cares what their ideology is? And by the way, I say this, even though the argument was made by the people who want to blame this on Trump, that this is all about January 6th, and this is just a continuation of January 6th, and if Donald Trump wasn't going around, you know, talking about, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and attacking people and all that, this wouldn't have happened. Think about how partisan and small-minded it is to immediately, I mean, the guy's barely out of surgery, which fortunately was said to have been successful, and he's expected to make a full recovery, to say, okay, we got to assign fault here. So this guy appears to be a right-winger, so it's the conservative's fault. And I know the argument was made that more of the domestic terror threats have come from the right in recent years. Okay, we can debate that. But by the way, neither party is innocent on this front because it was five years ago, it was five years ago that a crazed liberal, a Rachel Maddow fan, which is irrelevant, by the way, went to that congressional Republican baseball practice in Virginia, shot up the field, nearly killed Steve Scalise, who fortunately survived and today is again a member, or still is a member of the House 
Republican leadership. And there you have the opposite. Well, it's this crazy liberal. Oh, no, you can't blame ideology on this. He's just crazy. Okay. So, first of all, I have to say how shocking this was. And second of all, I have to say that there's still a lot we don't know. Okay, it wasn't clear. I mean, for one thing, some fast thinking on the part of Paul Pelosi, who's 82 years old, gets attacked with a hammer. Um, There's a lot we don't know about the nature of the break-in. We haven't seen the security camera footage. But he was able to, speaking in code, uh, call 911 and just make clear without saying so that he was in trouble. That was quick-witted on his part. So it seems like by the time DePape started to physically attack Paul Pelosi, that the police or some of the police had already arrived and were able to witness some of this. Again, we don't have all the answers. There may be things we learn that surprise us. But I was just absolutely appalled by some of the online comments I got after doing this segment, even though I repeated all the caveats. We don't know everything that happened and so forth. And before I go any further, there was a blog, a couple of blogs, in DePape's name, in which he was anti-Jewish, anti-Black, anti-media, we wouldn't want to feel left out, and totally embracing the idea of a stolen election. And in fact, posting stuff from Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy. So everyone's like, what was his motivation? Well, his motivation was to go after him. This wasn't, nobody thinks this was an accident that he just picked this house. He went there thinking Nancy Pelosi would be there. So it was an attempted homicide, actually aimed at Pelosi, who, unbeknownst to this mentally disturbed individual, was back in Washington. And, of course, then rushed out uh, to be with her husband. And she put out a statement, uh, I guess late Saturday, saying that she and her family are heartbroken and traumatized by what happened to her husband, their family member. And can you imagine? Can you imagine getting that phone call? Your husband's been attacked with a hammer and he's been rushed to the hospital? Horrifying. And if you think that every member of Congress, every public official who's out there campaigning now isn't really worried about their own safety, and that of their family, you don't understand how on edge everybody is about that, and with good reason. But then there was a a newer blog that the Washington Post saw that this guy put up, and it's since been taken down, in which he talked about being, and there's some overlap here, anti-trans, anti-climate change, uh, anti a whole bunch of things, in which you would think, okay, well, why doesn't he sympathize with the Democratic Party 
if he believes all this stuff. Anti-COVID vaccines and on and on. I mean, it's just a total mixed bag. Except for the part where he really wanted to go after Nancy Pelosi. And in this newer blog that the Washington Post saw and has since been taken down, we also had the spectacle of him being suicidal, saying he wanted to kill himself. And not just that, but posting the most ghastly images of death. I mean, clearly, this is a deeply, deeply disturbed individual. And once you get to that, I say, you know, don't play the blame game. Who cares what his ideology is or was? Don't use it for partisan purposes. The key thing is here, he was deeply disturbed. Now, other stuff, uh, you know, uh, uh, a woman who said she was his daughter, said he was dangerous to be around, but never could imagine him doing something like this. Well, that's what she said. Other things I haven't repeated on the air because it's just too wild. But yet, after doing this segment, I got people getting into my comments on Twitter, on Facebook, saying, oh, this is like Jussie Smollett. Well, I'm sorry. Jussie Smollett's claims turned out to be a complete and total hoax. Paul Pelosi had surgery for a fractured skull. So what, do you think the doctors were going along with this? What kind of garbage is this? And I'm sad to say that Elon Musk got in on this. And I actually said before we went on the air, let's not say explicitly what this is because it's irresponsible. Maybe I was being too squeamish because Hillary Clinton posted a tweet and she was being partisan, going after Republicans for spreading hate and deranged conspiracy theories. By the way, in addition to these MSNBC hosts who were saying, oh, he's, he's a right winger, Therefore, the right is to blame. At the same time, President Biden, repeating some of what was said on some of these shows, said the attack was despicable, which it was, absolutely appropriate for the president to say that, and then saying, by the way, this guy who's now in custody, um, he was using the same chant, where's Nancy, as was said by the January 6th attacker, some of them who were searching for Pelosi, undoubtedly with intent to do her harm. Yes, so it seemed to me like he was buying into that whole business. But then Elon Musk, and we'll get into more from him in a second. After Hillary Clinton posted this, let's blame the Republicans. Uh, Musk hit a reply and said there is a tiny possibility there might be more to this story than meets the eye. And then he shared a link to an article in the Santa Monica Observer. That article alleged that Paul Pelosi was drunk. Remember, he did have that drunk driving uh, episode. And in a fight with a male prostitute. Now, the LA Times reported last year about this Santa Monica Observer, that it masquerades as a legitimate local paper. It's owned by a one-time city council uh, candidate, notorious for publishing false news. For example, 2016, 
that paper put forward the idea that Hillary Clinton had died and a body double was sent to the Republican presidential debate with Donald Trump. Okay, so it's just crazy. But, you know, I, I mean, and then the, the, the link didn't work, and I think the tweet has since been deleted, or certainly the link didn't work. So I think Elon Musk is a very interesting character who says whatever he thinks, but sometimes I think the things he says, he doesn't think through. And I think that's fair. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Which leads me to story number two, which is, and we did this on the show as well, Elon Musk taking over Twitter, being attacked by the media again. And this is partisan also. The right suddenly loves him because they think he's going to, you know, not ban anybody and allow for a robust debate. He, he ran, I mean, he ran, I guess it was kind of a campaign. He, he made the pitch that he would take over Twitter as a free speech crusader. If it was really bad or offensive speech, it would be countered by other speech. But then what happened is he crashed into reality, which is a lot of Twitter's advertisers want to bail. So he puts out this open letter, as I believe I mentioned last week, Twitter advertisers saying, uh, hey, um, I just want to reassure you that this is not going to be a site where anything goes. And then... He does another thing. He announces that nobody will be reinstated on Twitter, Donald Trump or anybody else, until he forms a content moderation council. And there's that phrase, content moderation. So in light of that, and, you know, look, the the media are no longer free speech advocates. They want more control you know, some the Independent was like, Twitter's dead. The British paper, Twitter's dead. Musk killed it. You know, he'd owned it for about five minutes, and people were saying, oh, he's a fascist, and look at all these racist tweets that suddenly you come back. You can't blame any of this on Musk because he's not doing anything yet. Remember, he's forming the Content Moderation Council. But here's a piece in The Verge that I thought provided an interesting perspective. It begins by saying, you effed up real good. Twitter is a disaster clown car company that is successful despite itself, says The Verge, the tech site, and there is no possible way to grow users and revenue without making a series of enormous compromises that will ultimately destroy your reputation and probably cause grievous damage to your other companies, addressing, obviously, Elon Musk. I say this with confidence because the problems with Twitter are not engineering problems. They are political problems. Twitter, the company, makes very little interesting technology. The asset is not the technology, it's the user base. Hopelessly addicted politicians, reporters, celebrities, and other people who should know better but keep posting anyway. You, you, Elon Musk, are addicted to Twitter. You're the asset. You just bought yourself for $44 billion. Uh, The problem when the asset is people is that people are intensely complicated, this piece goes on to say, 
and trying to regulate how people behave is historically a miserable experience, especially when that authority is now vested in a single, powerful individual. Remember, it's now a private company. No Wall Street to answer to. What I mean is that you are now the king of Twitter, and people think that you personally are responsible for everything that happens on Twitter now. Hence, you know, this, okay, he's ruined it. The Washington Post, by the way, putting out, well, here's how to delete your profile, and uh, people are worried about Twitter. Okay, I'll get to more of that in a minute. It also turns out that absolute monarchs usually get murdered when S goes sideways. Uh, You can write as many polite letters to advertisers as you want, but you can't expect them to collect any meaningful advertising revenue if you do not promise those advertisers brand safety. That means you have to ban racism, sexism, transphobia, and all other kinds of speech that is totally legal in the United States, but reveals people to be total a-holes. You can make all the promises you want about free speech, but the dull reality is you still have to ban a bunch of legal speech if you want to make money. And then your creepy right-wing fanboys are going to viciously turn on you. Okay, I don't know about that part. Um, It turns out most people don't want to participate in horrible, unmoderated internet spaces full of blank racists and not-all-men fedora bullies. This is why Twitter is so small. They want to live at Disney World. So if you want more people to join Twitter and actually post tweets, you have to make the experience much, much more pleasant. Every social network has learned this the hard way. He goes on to say, hey, uh, you have to defend the First Amendment against the bad laws on social media in Texas and Florida, whose taxes you like and whose governors you seem pretty fond of. You ready for that looks like? Are you ready to sit before Congress and politely decline to engage in their sessions? And he goes on to say, also, forget about the U.S. What about Germany? Germany is a huge market for Tesla. Are you going to flout Germany's speech laws? I would bet not. Anyway, it goes on and on. And he ends up by saying, the writer of this Verge piece, welcome to hell, this was your idea. I think he's on to something. Musk wanted this. Then he didn't want it. Of course, he wanted to bail. He was forced in a lawsuit to take over Twitter. And now it's true. He's going to own everything. Every single thing that happens, even if he has done nothing, seen nothing, had nothing to do with it, hasn't formed the content moderation board yet, he will be blamed because he is the sole owner. He controls Twitter. All right, number three has to do with rallies. So the Washington Post has a piece about Barack Obama referring to him as the closer. Barack Obama kicked off his return to the campaign trial. He was in Georgia by taking on Georgia football icon, Republican Senate nominee Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker was a heck of a football player, Obama said. But that would make him no more qualified to be a U.S. senator than to fly an airplane or perform surgery. That got some laughter. Georgia deserves better. By the way, we also did the second abortion accuser of Herschel Walker and how he instinctively denied it, told Brett Baer it was a lie. But now you have a pattern of two women. And what, what, what? motivation would they have to both make this up? And by the way, there's other evidence in the case of the second accuser, whose voice we have heard on tape, on audio, uh, including love letter, a love letter that Herschel Walker, handwritten love letter to her, as well as uh, two different photos of them together in hotel rooms. So he's like, I don't know who this is. Okay. Anyway, Obama 
is leading all these rallies. He also uh, appeared on behalf of Raphael Warnick in Georgia uh, and Stacey Abrams, who's trailing in her rematch and looks very likely to lose with Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, he also headlined rallies in Michigan and Wisconsin, where he went after Ron Johnson, the incumbent Republican senator, pretty hard. Former president is regarded as the Democratic Party's top communicator to base voters, more in demand than President Biden, who's not been a, a sought-after surrogate. President spent one of the busiest campaign weekends of the cycle at home in Delaware, where he attended his granddaughter's field hockey game and cast his ballot. That says a lot, doesn't it? That says a whole heck of a lot. Democratic strategists, says the Post, say Obama is the sole party leader able to draw major base voting night crowds without simultaneously angering the other side. Well, I don't agree with that second part. A lot of people on the other side didn't like President Obama, and they're not going to be thrilled about some of his rhetoric. Um, he went after Tudor Dixon in, in Michigan, in Wisconsin. He said that, well, you know, the Republican ads are uh, calling out Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who is black, as someone who is different. Mandela, get ready to dig up that birth certificate, Obama said. You know what that's a reference to. And look, Obama's good at the folksy humor. I mean, he's, he's good at this. That's how he got elected twice. But he also said democracy is on the ballot. And, uh, you know, he said, it's much harder. He actually acknowledged being on the campaign trail is harder. It's not just because I'm older and grayer, Obama said. It feels like the basic foundation of democracy is at risk. But then he talked about, look, violent crime has gone up. And he talked about inflation being a real problem. Obama knows that you can't just wish away those issues. Anyway, the point on Biden is I've since gotten two or three notifications that Biden will join rallies in the final days. Remember when the New York Times piece came out, uh, Joe Biden not doing any rallies. And the whole White House came out, oh, rallies, that's a failed strategy, never works. We're going to be above the fray with policy speeches. But obviously the criticism got to him because now Biden will do some rallies. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number four, Kat Rosenfield um, is an interesting person to follow on Twitter. And she has a piece in National Review. She starts out by saying, one of my longtime survival strategies, strategies as a career freelance writer is a policy of saving yes to everything. So she finds herself at lunch with Rich Lowry, who's still the grand poobah at National Review. And they're talking about this, that, and the other thing. And finally, Lowry says, I was hoping to talk to you about writing for National Review, but apparently you're a liberal. And she goes on to explain why she's often mistaken for a conservative, when in fact she's a liberal, but she's not very happy with the liberal side right now. So, Here's what Kat Rosenfield says. She says, ah, yes, conservatives. They're the ones who wanted to ban, scold, and censor all the fun out of everything when she was growing up. They were humorless, heartless, joyless, sexless, except for their bizarre obsession with policing what kind of sex everyone was having. The new moral authoritarians, she says, they weren't conservatives, or at least the kind I'd grow up with. This scolding, shaming, censoring was coming from inside the house. She says, look, 
in our current era, politics no longer have anything to do with policy. Kat Rosenfield says, nor are they about principles or values or a vision for the future. They're about tribalism and aesthetics and vibes. They're about lockstep solidarity with your chosen team, to which you must demonstrate your loyalty through fierce and unwavering conformity. And above all, they're about hating the right people. Politics in 2022, she says, are defined not by whom you vote for, but by whom you wish to harm. Having said that, she says, this is why conservatives so often mistake me for one of their own. Not because I argue for right-wing policies or from a right-wing perspective, but because progressives are often extremely publicly mad at me for refusing to parrot the latest catechism and for criticizing the progressive dogmas that either violate my principles or make no sense. I look like a friend of the right only because the left wants to make me their enemy and because I can't bring myself to do the requisite dance or make the requisite apologies that might get me back in the left's good graces. She says it was the toxic high schoolness of it all, the way that people gleefully coalesced around the new target every day, as if their confidence in their own righteousness relied on the perpetual presence of a scapegoat to kick. The intolerance seemed particularly intense, intense among, among a certain type of highly educated liberal who dominate the media sphere, who police the boundaries of their extremely online in-group with the same terrifying energy as the most Machiavellian high school mean girl. When various polls are released after the 2016 election, it didn't surprise me at all to learn liberals were far more likely to say they wouldn't date across party lines. So she sums up by saying, it's devastating to see the worlds of journalism, academia, publishing, and comedy all in such thrall of, or thrall to, or fear of, a culture that sees creative work as activism first and art second. So basically she says, look, I'm still a liberal, but I'm pretty disenchanted with this crap on the left because I won't dance the dance and sing the tune. And she said expressing these thoughts publicly, especially in the pages of National Review, will no doubt prompt a fresh round of allegations that I'm some kind of faker, a double agent, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Talk about can't win. Uh, just a little footnote here on the Trump stuff from earlier. Uh, Donald Trump actually celebrated Elon Musk taking over Twitter, but he says he's not going to join. He hasn't been reinstated yet, but he says he's not going to join because he says Truth Social has been such a hit. Okay, well, Twitter and Facebook are about, and TikTok are about a zillion times bigger. And I'm not so sure that in the end, Trump won't rejoin, but maybe he'll say, well, you know, I'll cut a deal where Elon will go on Truth Social. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if he even gets reinstated. Finally, number five, you know, there's been this crazy dance to come back to the world of sports, sort of. All of these authorized leaks, and you could tell they were authorized leaks. Nobody went on the record about Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen. And I knew that if it was garbage, if these were unauthorized leaks, that they would be denied. And yet we heard more and more, well, Tom says this and Giselle says this, and they both hired divorce lawyers. And I was wary of repeating this stuff, even though I could tell it was being put out by their respective camps, because I don't know, what if it turned out not to be true? Well, credit to TMZ, which was the first to confirm this. It was true. Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen have now gotten divorced. 
after 13 years of marriage. They say the marriage was irretrievably broken. The actual details of the settlement and the custody arrangement remain confidential. Um, and they both went to a parent education and family stabilization course because they share two children. And the documents say they are now restored to the Sangha's status of being single and unmarried. So she filed the docs in Florida. He is not contesting. Um, TMZ broke the story. Here's a quote from Tom saying, in recent days, my wife and I finalized our divorce from one another. Uh, we arrived at this decision amicably and with gratitude for the time we spent together. We're blessed with beautiful and wonderful children who will continue to be the center of our world in every way. Continue to work together as parents. I hope so. That's always the tragedy here. He says, we arrived at this decision to end our marriage after much consideration. Doing so is, of course, painful and difficult, like people around the world. Giselle says, the decision to end the marriage is never easy, but we have grown apart. And while, of course, it's difficult to go through something like this, I feel blessed for the time we had together. We wish only the best for Tom. Uh, turns out there was a prenup. They've become one of the biggest power couples in Hollywood. Tom Brady's net worth estimated at $330 million. Giselle Bunchen, the supermodel, estimated at around $400 million. Isn't that interesting? And look, it's also obvious that it was his decision to retire and then unretire when she wanted him to stay home and devote time to their family after all the years she gave up to pro football is what set this in motion. It may not have been the only problem they were having, but it set it in motion. And by the way, and maybe this was a major distraction, as we all kind of assumed, Brady's having a horrible season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He just lost his third straight game. And the last one wasn't totally his fault because he got sacked a lot. But nevertheless, uh, the team doesn't have a good record. Uh, they've lost a number of games. Brady's not playing well in most of these games. And whether you want to attribute to the domestic problems or just the fact that he's kind of run out of gas and should have stayed retired and gone out on a high note, there you have it. And so with that, thank you for spending this time. Once again, you can find some of the Media Buzz segments online. I hope you'll check them out if you didn't get a chance to see the show, which means you might have a life. But we like when you uh, join us here. And Apple iTunes is a good place to subscribe if you're not already on board with subscribing to this podcast. We'll see you all tomorrow with more Buzzbeat. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.